Let us stand for the reading of God's Word. Continuing forward in Acts, we're in chapter 15, the last bit. Uh, Focus is verses 36 through 41 of chapter 15. I'll read from verse 30 of chapter 15 through to verse 5 of chapter 16. Please listen carefully, brothers and sisters, because this is God's holy and infallible Word. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Then, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city, where we have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they are doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there, named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So, Luke has previously set before us in the book of Acts a glorious work of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. There at the Jerusalem Council, you remember the great disagreement. There had been a dangerous dispute, and it was brought, however, to unanimous agreement. And it pleased all the people that were present. And it led to great encouragement and love and unity, and church growth. That's what we've just seen happen. Instead of the inflexibility and division of the sinful flesh that we'll see in today's text, in that event, the Lord Jesus Christ overcame the dispute in His church by His Word and by His Spirit, granting humility, deference, and wisdom. That's how they treated one another at that great council in Jerusalem. They listened to each other. And while they disagreed, they worked through it together, and God granted them one accord. Yet, alas, brothers and sisters, not so in today's text, where we will see two mature Christian men step out of the spirit walk and sharply disagree and separate from one another. How sad this is. And yet, overall, the Lord does reign, bringing forth His good plan even through their sin. And over time, the Lord, as we'll see, will bring some healing to the relationships that are involved here. Even though, how sad this is, 
our beloved Barnabas the encourager, fades into relative obscurity in the Bible after this event. John Calvin says in his commentary on this particular text, Luke doth here set down the doleful disagreement which ought to make all the godly afraid for just causes. The society of Paul and Barnabas was consecrated by the heavenly oracle. They had long time labored, being of one mind, under this yoke wherein the Lord had tied them. They had by many experiences felt the excellent favor of God. And I'm sure you recall what they went through there in southern Galatia during the first missionary journey they've already experienced together. Facing death, facing insults together for the gospel. Though they had been almost drowned so often in so many tempests of persecution and were set upon so sore by infinite enemies, yet they were so far from being pulled asunder that their agreement was then most of all, it would seem, proved. But now, for a light matter, and which might easily have been ended, they break that holy bond of God's calling. Seeing that the heat of the contention was so great and vehement in these holy men, what shall befall us? Seeing that the heat of the contention was so great and vehement in these holy men, what shall befall us, brothers and sisters, whose affections, being not as yet so brought to obey God, do oftentimes rage without modesty? Seeing that a light occasion did separate them, how easily may Satan cause those to be divided who have either none or at least a cold desire to foster peace. Therefore, let us be admonished by this example that unless the servants of Christ take great heed, there be many chinks through which Satan will creep in to disturb that concord which is among them. So we see the Lord's grace to them in the Jerusalem council bringing such great concord in the midst of this large disturbance in the church. And yet now we see these two men will disagree and divide as they step out of the Spirit. We'll look at the text together. First we'll see the plan that Paul makes. They, he wants to together visit the brethren in each city where they had already preached. So that was his plan. Let's go back to every city where we'd already preached the Word. And he says this to Barnabas. But then there's the disagreement over John Mark. Barnabas, does, wants, to, Barnabas wants to take him and Paul does not. And then the disagreement becomes so sharp that they separate from one another. We'll look at that. But then we'll see that a new plan arises. And they divide the work amongst themselves. And we'll see again God's grace over our sin. And He brings forth His goodness even in our failures. And this will hopefully greatly encourage us. And then we'll see the Antioch church weighs in and we'll see the importance of God's church and the importance of remaining united with God's church through all difficulties and disagreements. And then we'll look at some other scriptures to see how later the Lord does bring some degree of healing to the relationships over time, especially between Paul and John Mark. And there will be a bit of a shadow that remains, sadly, in regards to the question of the relationship between Paul and Barnabas over time. So first, the plan. Verse 36, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So this is approximately the year A.D. 49. 
approximately 19 years after the Lord Jesus Christ has been crucified and resurrected. This is after their first journey, their first missionary journey, which we've looked at already, and the Jerusalem Council has taken place at this point. And the second missionary journey of Paul and Silas is about to begin, and it will be from AD 49, approximately AD 49 to AD 51. So they'd stayed there in Antioch. They'd been refreshed. They'd been strengthened. They had continued to preach and disciple and encourage the saints to continue in the grace of God as they had done before. But now Paul sees by God's leading that it's time to go again. As a faithful shepherd, Paul asks Barnabas to travel with him back to every city where they had preached the word of the Lord before to check on them, to see if they were continuing in the faith. We see here Paul's pastoral heart on display. Rather than start a new work when the first work is unsteady, he wants to check on those in southern Galatia, recall, who had been so badly harassed by the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, with the threats and attacks. Remember, Paul had been left for dead. And also, recall, attacked by the Judaizers, the believing Jews who were confused in regards to the circumcision controversy. And he had sent the letter to the Galatian churches to try to rescue them from that. So certainly Paul's very concerned for their well-being. Commentary says, note, those that have preached the gospel should visit those to whom they have preached it. As we must look after our praying and hear what answer God gives to that, so we must look after our preaching and see what success that has. Faithful ministers cannot but have a particular tender concern for those to whom they have preached the gospel that they may not bestow upon them labor in vain. If you've preached to people, you know what this does to your heart. You long for them to have Christ formed in them. You long for them, each one of them, by name, to have Christ formed in them. And this is Paul's pastoral heart on display here. But also as a faithful apostle to the Gentiles, Paul does not stay in Antioch where there is peace and safety and no opportunity to further extend the kingdom to Gentiles. But instead, he remembers the word of Christ to him upon Damascus Road. In Acts 9.15, the Lord was speaking to Ananias about Paul, and he said these words. This is when Paul's converted. For he, that's Paul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul knew it was time to go again. He knows his calling is to church planting missionary work amongst the Gentiles. And he knows that while doing that along the way, he will also preach the word of God to kings and to the Jews and that he will suffer so many things for the sake of the name of Christ along the way. And ultimately we know that he is martyred. Commentary says, Antioch was now a safe and quiet harbor for them. They had there no adversary nor evil occurrence. But Paul remembered that they only put in there to refit and refresh themselves and therefore begins now to think of putting to sea again. And having been in winter quarters long enough, he is for taking the field again and making another campaign in a vigorous prosecution of the holy war against Satan's kingdom. So Paul seeks another journey with his faithful mentor and companion, Barnabas. This is no surprise. These two had worked side by side and all of these cities in question, exhorting, encouraging, and preaching the word to the people together, braving insults and death, near death, together with the brethren. Of course, these two would be the two to return. That's what Paul would want, naturally. 
Now remember also, looking back at their relationship, they had been through a prior disagreement. Not only had they been all, through all of those things, these sufferings together, but they had been through a prior disagreement without division regarding the Judaizer controversy. And they had come through that trial peacefully and had eventually reached one accord on that matter together. Even after Barnabas was drawn away in hypocrisy with Peter and the other Jewish believers in Antioch, remember, they had been eating with the Gentiles and then the Judaizers came and said, hey, you must be circumcised or you can't be saved. Then Peter and Barnabas were both pulled away by the hypocrisy of the Jews and stopped eating with the Gentiles. So even Barnabas was drawn away. Yet, in that disagreement, they were able to travel together to Jerusalem and then agree together in their report before the Jerusalem council. And their relationship had been so thoroughly shored up through this experience and many others that Paul trusts Barnabas to accompany him on another journey. They had already been through some serious hard times together. What cities are in question? Well, there's actually a lot of cities in question on Cyprus. And this is where we begin to see the, the Lord working to bring multiplication through division. There's Salamis in Cyprus. There's Paphos in Cyprus. And there's perhaps other cities in Cyprus that they had preached to as they had crossed across the island going from where they landed all the way across to where they departed. And you remember that they had met uh, a political leader there and he had come to Christ there. So they definitely preached the gospel there in those cities. And then also the cities in southern Galatia. There's Pisidian Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. So that's where they went initially. And then on their way back, they went through, uh, in reverse order, uh, Lystra, Iconium, and Pisidian Antioch again as they were leaving that region. And then they came south, and it says they preached the word at Perga as well, which they had not apparently not preached to on their way in. So these are the cities that are listed from the prior experience. And again, perhaps other cities in southern Galatia, perhaps they preached to those as well. So Paul says, hey Barnabas, let's go to every one of those cities. So it appears as though Paul's plan was to hit Cyprus again and then hit southern Galatia again when he spoke to Barnabas. And don't forget, and this is again God's overarching sovereign providence in his kingdom, where's Paul from? Cilicia, right? Up there in that region near southern Galatia. Where's Barnabas from? Cyprus. He's a... Remember, he's a Levite from Cyprus. Commentary says, Paul suggests that they return and visit the believers in every city in which they had proclaimed the gospel and established churches. Salamis, Paphos, Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, and Perga, and perhaps other churches in other cities not mentioned by Luke. So let's look at the disagreement. What happens next? The text says, Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. So what did Barnabas agree with? Well, it appears as though Barnabas agreed with the idea of returning to each city where they had preached the word. There's no disagreement here about the plan, or even the timing of the plan. And it appears, you can see suggested here, that Barnabas agrees that John Mark had made a big mistake when he had abandoned his post in Pamphylia before, during their first journey. You recall they had gone through Cyprus, and they were about to sail from Cyprus to southern Galatia. And what does John Mark do? He goes back to Jerusalem. He leaves. They were relying on him. They were counting on him. And he leaves. And he abandoned his post. And it appears as though Barnabas agrees with Paul that it was a bad mistake. But, nevertheless, Barnabas was determined to take 
John Mark along with him. Barnabas had come to a decision and he would not consider changing his mind. He had dug in his heels. He apparently did not believe the past mistake warranted rejecting John Mark from this second journey. Now, people are different. People focus on different things. And it appears as though Barnabas' focus was upon the relationship with John Mark and his leadership development. Whereas Paul's focus was clearly upon the success of the upcoming journey. And sometimes, if we don't share and listen and hear one another's interests, we can talk past each other. Now, also, perhaps Barnabas had seen some changes in John Mark that caused him to believe that John Mark had matured since his failure at Pamphylia. So, Barnabas perhaps was seeing some of these things. Now, we, we have to think that Barnabas' family connection with his nephew or cousin impacted Barnabas' judgment. Remember, Barnabas is either the brother of the, the brother of John Mark's mother, okay, so his uncle, or he's a cousin. So they're, they're tight relationship. And you recall his mother's an important woman in Jerusalem where they would meet and she would harbor the persecuted church. So John Mark has a tight connection to the Gospels uh, throughout his life, and to the, the Gospel going forth, especially in Jerusalem. Commentary says he determined to take him because he was his relation and it is likely was brought up under him and he had a kindness for him and was solicitous for his welfare. We should suspect ourselves of partiality and guard against it in preferring our relations. And so, it, granted, it's a bit of speculation, but it appears as though Barnabas was perhaps biased by his relationship with his relative, his near relative. Whatever the reasons, Barnabas would not budge. His position was final and it was non-negotiable. What about Paul? Paul insisted that they should not take John Mark with them, thinking that it was a bad idea, that it was not wise, because of what had happened at Pamphylia. Paul had made up his mind, and he also would not negotiate on this topic. Now this word, departed, the point of all this, what you're about to hear is that really what John Mark did was terrible. It really was terrible. There was no excuse for it. This word departed means to desert, to fall away, or to become faithless. So John Mark appears to have just given up the work. Did he leave without their permission? Did he leave without telling them? Did they leave? Did he leave after a conflict with them? We're not told. And Paul describes it, or Luke, it appears though Luke is sharing Paul's view here. He had not, Luke says about John Mark, that he had not gone with them to the work. So Paul characterizes John Mark as work avoidant. Whatever happened at Pamphylia, Paul sees as a form of serious, serious immaturity and laziness. That when the going got tough, John Mark, his faith was not enough. And he departed. He failed in that critical time. So Paul sees this as a desertion, a falling away, a faithlessness during critical work, and Paul would not have the success of their next journey depend upon John Mark. Clearly, Paul does not believe that John Mark has matured enough since then. He hasn't seen enough to entrust him with this kind of duty again. 
commentary says, because he was either lazy and would not take the pains that must be taken, or cowardly and would not run the hazard. He run his colors just as they were going to engage in the battle. It is probable that he promised very fair now that he would not do so again. But Paul thought it was not fit he should be thus honored, who had forfeited his reputation, nor thus employed who had betrayed his trust, at least not till he had been longer tried. If a man deceive me once, it is his fault. But if twice, it is my own for trusting him. In Proverbs, we're told, Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint, which will hardly be used again. Now we'll see as we look ahead that it's likely Barnabas was seeing something here. And maybe Paul was seeing it too. But John Mark becomes a faithful fellow laborer with with Paul through the years. So what happens next? The contention became so sharp that they departed from one another. So their their mutual inflexibility crescendos to very intense efforts to persuade one another. Now this idea of contention in the English comes from the Greek word associated with the idea of paroxysms. Paroxysms. And it carries the concept of an incitement an irritation, a provocation that has occurred. And these two men are extremely frustrated with one another, and it appears, you know, we read each Lord's Day, don't we? Love is not provoked. These two men were provoked, and it looks as though they're extremely frustrated with one another during this event. This idea of a paroxysm helps us see what's happening. It, this a paroxysm, it's used in the medical world It's an exasperation or an exacerbation of a disease, a fit of higher excitement or violence in a disease that may have remissions and intermissions. So this term, according to Webster's, or no, this is the commentary, when used negatively, describes anger, irritation, or exasperation in a a disagreement. So these men were having it out. This was not a godly conversation. We can say their disagreement was like a violent coughing fit. Have you ever seen that before? Rising in intensity until they could just no longer stay together. Sometimes in my practice as an asthma doctor, and this is somewhat you know, gross, but coughing can be so hard that it can lead to vomiting. It's almost as if that's a picture here of what happened in their relationship between one another. It had risen in intensity so much that they could no longer stay together. It's not as if they had a rational agreement to part ways. They just couldn't stand each other's presence anymore. They couldn't endure being in each other's presence. Can you imagine how grievous this must have been to all the brethren there to see this? Now, of course, I can't help but think that underneath it all is their great love for one another and their desire to be together and to work together that was being frustrated. Those who love one another most often fight the hardest and sin against each other the worst. Commentaries, though this is, uh, yeah, this is commentary. There were certainly both, they were certainly both in fault to be hot as to let the contention be sharp. And it is to be feared they gave one another some hard words. As also to be so stiff as each to stick resolutely to his opinion and neither to yield. It is a pity that they did not refer the matter to a third person or that some friend did not interpose to prevent its coming to an open rupture. So they really failed. They had lots of options, 
other than what they went through. So they parted to one, from one another. And I want us to see that term. They parted from one another. They are both to blame. Neither side would defer. Both not only leave, but both are also unwilling to go after the other. They both gave up on one another. Can't you just see them in the heat of this throwing their hands up and shaking their heads? They turn their backs on one another and walk away. Oh, how grievous. Brothers and sisters, I hope that we will note that even Paul and Barnabas were not immune to their own sin and passions. We should be very grieved, but not be surprised at all by disagreements and divisions. I think these principles that we see here have great application for us in every relationship, especially our closest ones. Husbands and wives, I hope you will consider the principles here. Dear friends and brothers, I hope that you will consider the principles here. Siblings in the Lord. Siblings within families and siblings within the, Lord, within the Lord's family. Please consider these principles. We all have these same sinful passions and these same likely sinful outcomes if we are not walking in the Spirit. The commentary says, We are not to think it strange if there be differences among wise and good men. We were told before that such offenses would come, and here is an instance of it. Even those that are united to the one and the same Jesus and sanctified by one and the same Spirit, have different apprehensions, different opinions, different views, and different sentiments in points of prudence. So they had a different way of sorting the situation, and they were unable to take the time to not only consider their own interests, but to consider the other person's interests and find out why they were disagreeing and seek a common solution while remaining in joyful fellowship. So what happens next? A new plan happens. And the plan is to divide the work. The text says, And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So what happens first? It appears as though Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus first. A hastiness seems to be present with their departure. Why do we say that? We just took Mark and left. No communication with or commendation from the church at Antioch is mentioned. It appears as though Barnabas left in a way that was harmful to his ties to the brethren there in Antioch. Commentary says Barnabas sailed with his nephew to Cyprus and no notice was taken of him, nor a recommendation given him. Note, those that in their service of the church are swayed by private affections and regards forfeit public honors and respect. We should take this to heart, brothers and sisters. Could it have been so severe that Barnabas just decided to go home and forget this whole thing? Or did he actually go back to the work there in Cyprus? Paul has some things to say that are not negative about Barnabas in the future, so it's likely he did go back to the work, but we don't really know from Scripture. Paul is later said, when we look at this section about Paul, to strengthen the churches. But no mention is made by Luke of Barnabas and Mark and their work in Cyprus. So we don't know what happened in Cyprus. We don't know if those churches were strengthened like Paul wanted to do. And in fact, as I've said, this is the very last that we will hear of Barnabas and John Mark in the book of Luke. Their ministry goes into obscurity. And... That's significant for us to see, regardless of why or how that happened. 
Did Barnabas make a unilateral decision based upon his familiarity with Cyprus, because that was where he was from? Was his departure as abrupt as it seems, without good communication with the Antioch church? It certainly looks that way. And again, as we consider his proven maturity and love for Christ and his church through up until now, this should seriously warn us, brothers, brothers and sisters, of how weak and vulnerable we are to, to think and act the same way. What does Paul do? Well, Paul chose Silas and departed and went to Syria and Cilicia. So we see that Paul, like Barnabas, will also go through his home region, Cilicia, during his journey. And as we'll consider more with subsequent sermons, they do not go by sea. He goes over the Taurus Mountains and comes there into southern Galatia from his home city there um, in the region of Cilicia from Tarsus. So Barnabas took John Mark, and so Paul had to find a replacement. He knew that he needed to go with someone. It was not good for him to go alone. He chose Silas. And again, this is another spot for us to pause and rejoice in God's providence and his care for his church. Because why was Silas there in the first place? He's only there because of the circumcision controversy. Remember the Judaizers had come and stirred everything up. They went to Jerusalem where Silas was. Silas comes back to help deliver the message of the Jerusalem council to the Gentiles in the region of Antioch. And Silas decides to stay. He's exhorting, he's encouraging, he's preaching. And he decides to to stay. The others go back to Jerusalem, but Silas is still there. So what would Paul have done in this situation without a faithful, proven companion? This was going to be hard work. And as I said, this is an overland trip. There's no mention of sailing. Now, I want us to note the good that has come from this evil division. Commentary says, God would not permit such things to be if he knew not how to make them to serve his own purposes. Certainly we can never use this as an excuse for our sin, ever, ever. But we will fail. As we looked at this morning in our Christian Instruction and Hour, we only have an incomplete and imperfect experience of Christ's presence in this life. And we will never get it just right in this life. And yet we should know that the future of God's kingdom and His glory does not depend on our perfection, but upon His. And He will bring it to pass even in spite and even through our own sinful failures. Oh, brothers and sisters, this should be very encouraging to us poor sinners, especially those of us who've lived long enough to experience the depths of the regret of their own sin and harm towards others. Next, the new plan is better because the work is being done more efficiently. So the churches are being checked on sooner. And this is assuming that Barnabas does go to the work in Cyprus. Next, the new plan is better because the experience and wisdom of Paul and Barnabas, all that they have is not being concentrated into one area, but rather dispersed. The wisdom of Paul, the experience and faith of Paul, the wisdom, experience, and faith of Barnabas, they're being distributed more widely instead of concentrated in one area. Why have two proven champions in one place when the battle rages on two fronts? Next, The new plan is better because John, Mark, and Silas are gaining valuable experience and discipleship. So here, John, Mark is getting further training. He's getting that proving ground that he needs, again, assuming they went back to the work. And we have to think that this happened probably because where we see John, Mark end up in the future, which we'll get to that 
And of course, Silas is getting this wonderful opportunity as well to experience the great challenges and growth of being a part of this kind of missionary journey. Now also, this new plan is better because it will end up with new missionary work in distant lands after the churches in Syria, Cilicia, and southern Galatia are strengthened. When we look at this second missionary journey that Paul and Silas will take, and we look back at what Paul's plan was at the beginning, there's no mention of a plan of going from southern Galatia across the Aegean Sea, I think it's the Aegean, correct me if I'm wrong, into Greece, into Macedonia and Achaia. So when we see what happens at Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica and at Athens and at Corinth and all the churches that are planted and the conversions that take place, perhaps that even was also a result of the division. Perhaps if they had stayed together and brought John Mark, maybe they would have gone ahead and come home and just done exactly what they did. Speculation. But there was no plan for this at the beginning, and yet that we that we're told, and yet it does happen. And yet, if we pause and think about it, had they been wiser, Paul and Barnabas surely could have reached the same improved plan without sinning against one another. Perhaps they would have remained in disagreement. Perhaps they both would have thought the other person was unwise, and yet they could have made a compromised plan without coming to such a sinful experience together. Perhaps Barnabas and John Mark could have been sent out with the church, church's blessing as well. So, so much to learn from how they handled this. Next we see the Antioch church weighs in. It's important for us to consider the role of the church in disagreements and in our work. Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. So Paul and Silas, it appears, go to the church for commendation and approval before they leave, and the church grants approval. Surely prayers and some strengthening encounters took place through this that Paul and Silas and their team were blessed because of. I do want us to note that no, no conflict can justify separating oneself from the blessing of, of God's church as it appears Barnabas did. And we, we grant, I have to grant that it doesn't say that, but there are things absent in the description about Barnabas that can lead us to think that's probably the case. Also, note that blessings will abound for those who maintain good relationship with God's church. When disagreements arise between brothers and sisters in Christ, and if it needs to lead to a separation, it can be done in a way that doesn't have rupture and brokenness. It can be done in a way that continues to have blessing and power and glory in the name of Christ who is the Prince of Peace and who would have His people display peace to the world and not brokenness. Commentary says, those are happy at all times and especially in times of disagreement and contention, who are enabled so to carry themselves as not to forfeit their interest in the love and prayers of good people. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you will let these truths settle deeply in your hearts and minds, and that as the providences of life come your way in the future, and as these types of situations will surely come into your life, that you will remember the principles that we are learning today. And that you will remember the power and the glory available to us in the Holy Spirit to find peace with our brothers and sisters. Even in disagreement, to find peace and to be of one accord. 
And often, we'll be able to even find agreement if we will go to the Holy Spirit together. So the Lord does bring some healing over time, and I think it's important for us to see this and to consider what happens in the future after this. First of all, John Mark in Colossians, that's written about A.D. 58, so about 10 years after this divisive event has occurred, Paul now has a new view of John Mark. Listen to the text. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. So here it says cousin, but we know that Greek word there can also mean nephew. So John Mark, let's look at this, this arc of his character. He's now a comfort to Paul. Formerly a deep disappointment. Now Paul praises John Mark as one of the few Jewish believers who remains still in the work. He's not a quitter anymore. And Paul calls him a fellow worker, showing that John Mark is now more of a peer than an apprentice at this point in time. And Paul wants the Colossian believers to know this and to warmly welcome John Mark if he comes to them. You can't help but think that his reputation of being a quitter maybe had spread and of deserting the work maybe had spread because of this disagreement and all that took place. And Paul wants that settled and put to rest. He wants John Mark honored at this point in time as one who can be trusted and received warmly. Same kind of thing in Philemon 24 written around the same time about 10 years later. John Mark is seen as a peer. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. So here again we see Mark is his fellow laborer, his peer. And then in 2 Timothy 4.11, about, it's written AD 65, so about 15 years after the today's event, the, the t- events of today's text. Paul has been abandoned by many because of the great persecution that's underway. At this point in time, Rome and the Jews were ganged up and they were killing Christians by the thousands and tens of thousands. And people were fleeing from the church. They were running away from the church. And this is why all these people are abandoning Paul at this point in time. But he calls for John Mark. So he knows that even during this horrible time, John Mark will come. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. So John Mark is now a courageous, bold, dependable fellow laborer in the gospel, a comfort a reliable one who is useful in the teamwork of friendship. He's a helpful assistant to Paul. This should bring us great joy to see the power of the gospel in our lives, to help us go from fear to faith, from fleeing to clinging to Christ. Does it not remind you of what Peter went through in his life as well? So I want us to note the Lord's work in John Mark's life. He who was a disgraced quitter is now an honored stalwart Note the new relationship between Paul and John Mark. Brothers and sisters, let it be engraved deeply in our souls. There's always hope for healing of division for those who are in Christ. Well, Barnabas, a little different story. We've got a few scriptures to look at. 1 Corinthians 9, this is about AD 55. A positive reference to Barnabas, but no obvious relational progress. He says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from from working. So this is in the 
controversy about paying ministers, and Paul's making his point, and he references Barnabas as a positive reference. But really no relation, no, nothing told to us about the relationship or what's happened, unlike what we see with John Mark. In Colossians 4.10, this is AD 58, there's nothing said directly about Barnabas except that John Mark is his, coven, his cousin or his nephew. We've already looked at that text. And this neutral presentation suggests little forward progress in their relationship, or at least a lack of knowledge, perhaps, of, of what's going on. So it appears from Scripture that Paul and Barnabas continued in their work for the gospel, but that their working relationship had not been renewed. Um, again, granted, that's some speculation. Um, so what can we make of this for our own lives today? Here's some questions for you to ponder in your life today. When you look at yourself, do you, like Paul and John Mark, uh, see the marks of perseverance in your life? Do you see times where you're going to be, where you've been challenged and you've come through? Or uh, do you perhaps see, like John Mark, when he failed? Do you see fear in your life? And I hope that you would be encouraged to see that your faith can grow. Your faith can grow, because that's the answer. The Lord can put to death your idols that will not support you during times of trouble, whether it be yourself or the things of this world. The Lord can remove those from you and grant you faith in Him so that you will indeed have no reason to dread in anything that this life brings to you. Brothers and sisters, for those who will humbly center their lives on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can know supernatural peace and joy in the midst of any circumstances in this life. Next, as you consider disagreements and that they will come and that you will go through them, what do we need? What do we need to go through disagreements the way that we saw at the Jerusalem Council and not the way that we see with Barnabas and Paul? It is simple. We need humility. We need humility. We must have brokenness before the Lord. I would ask that you would be in fervent prayer for yourself and for one another. That God would grant to us this brokenness. And I will tell you, it is not pleasant. It is not an intellectual idea. It is not an academic experience. What you are asking God to do is reach down with His holy and glorious hands and break you. And put you through things that you do not want to go through. To experience and know in your soul that He alone can satisfy you. That nothing in this world will do. When we enter into disagreements from this spot, there's hope. There's hope that we can find unanimity and the one accord that seems like an illusion. Like an impossibility in this world, does it not? Does this world not seem so broken, the church so broken and fragmented, that this is a pipe dream? The Lord can grant this to those who would humble themselves and center their lives on Him. By His Spirit and by His Word, Christ formed in us. This is a true hope for us in any time of disagreement. Next, what if we remain in disagreement even in times of humble searching out one another's interests. Is there a way to remain at peace 
in Christ. I hope that you would see that there is and that you would find that the unity that we have in Christ is not threatened by any disagreements that we face. The Lord Himself, as we humble ourselves and submit himself, ourselves to Him, will not allow us to disagree on anything that is of eternal salvation to our souls. He will bring His people to agreement on the essentials of the faith. And those things where the Lord does not bring us to agreement are not things that necessitate our dividing from one another. We may be called to different ministries. We may be called to different locations. We may be called to different churches. We may be called to different denominations. We may be called to different locations. But we're never called to depart from the fondness and the affection that is ours together in Christ our Lord. And in that time, a new plan can be made together, which is what Barnabas and Paul missed out on. They missed out on making this plan together. Next, I hope that you will see that there is multiplication from division. And I hope that you will rest and rejoice in God's great sovereignty and wisdom. As we fail and as we sin, He brings forth His grace in the lives of His true children for our good and for the good of His kingdom. And those two things are never, ever in contradiction or in dichotomy against one another. He's always bringing forth that which is good for His children and good for the advancement of His kingdom through our failures and through our sin. Do you realize this? Does this take the weight off of your shoulders to some degree when you consider your own failures in life? I hope that it does. God cannot be thwarted by our sin. God cannot be thwarted by the forces of darkness. He will have His good way. He will complete the good work which He has begun in us as individual believers and in His bride in the earth before He returns to this world. Brothers and sisters, next I would have you ask yourself, are we vulnerable to disagreement and division? And I hope that you would say, of course. Obviously, we will be until the time that we depart this earth. What is our only hope? I've spoken it already. That we would look to Christ. That nothing would allow our Savior to be marginalized from our view. And that we'll be focused upon Him and His glory upon the cross that we would learn humility from Him. Our only hope for humility is to see Christ and see what He has done and to be made like Him. This is our life's greatest joy and treasure and pleasure is to be sanctified in Him together. So, would you cry out to Him to make this true in your own life and in each of our lives? For so many reasons, but for today's purposes, in preparation for the next time that you have a disagreement, in preparation for how you will go through that disagreement, hopefully in humility, and in looking to learn the interests of the other person and why they're seeing things the way they're seeing them, and remaining at peace with one another with affection and warmth, and finding wisdom together in that difficulty. And finally, 
what are you doing about the broken relationships in your life? Those people with, with whom you had sweet fellowship in the past and that that is no longer in place. Do you have relationships like that? Well, I think when we look at what has been laid before us from God's Word today, I want to encourage us to never give up and to remain in faithful prayer and to patiently trust the Lord to restore while maturing us in Christ. Perhaps we don't have the humility necessary to reach peace with those with whom we have broken relationships. Perhaps they don't have the humility necessary. We could cry out to God and ask Him to, to bring forth His Spirit in the hearts and minds of, of all involved for the sake of His glory and for the sake of a great rejoicing and demonstration of the gospel and the power of Christ in the earth. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your word and your spirit at work in us today. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless us, that the hearing of your word today, Lord, would not be like that seed which fell by the wayside and was stolen away, but that we would hear and receive your word by your spirit's work. And that this seed would come forth, Lord, and bear fruit in us, great fruit in us, not being burned away by the the persecutions of this life not being choked out by the, the cares and the covetousness of this life, but that your word would come forth in great fruitfulness in us as a result of hearing your word to us today, Lord Jesus. All for your glory we ask. In Christ's name, amen.